Dan Haran, welcome to the other fifty-one, and happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Brian. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's a it's a an Olean Times Herald reunion, one of a couple we've had <laughs> on the podcast. Dan and I went. Dan, we both went to St. Bonaventure. You were two, three. How, how many years? When did you graduate from Bonas? I graduated in '05. So okay, so you were a couple years, years behind, behind you. Yeah, yeah, but I was working in town at the time, and I remember we co- very specifically collaborating on a piece about a new golf course. Do you remember that? I only in the most vague way I, we've done. I remember we did a couple things together, mm-hmm. a couple uh, feature pieces that you worked on for magazines and certainly stuff at the OTH. That's uh, right. Um, but yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was, I remember it was a brand new golf course and we went up and we rode around one morning with like the, the superintendent slash owner dude or something like that. Um, yeah, and right, it, was up, right. it was up like around like the cat, cat County, Erie County, like up around pioneer that area. It was way the that's, heck out there. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's so, coming back to me. It, it seems like a million years ago. It was oh, a million years ago. My God, <laughs> so long ago, but you, you have moved. On, that was when you were you were working as a photographer, and now you are. Uh, what's your official title now? So, well, uh, many many different hats. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's right. I, so I was a, a photographer for, for a long time. It seems like another life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and subsequently, I became uh, a Franciscan friar. So I'm a, I'm a Catholic priest and a member of a uh, religious order that was founded by St. Francis about 800 years ago. Um, and between that point and now, uh, lots of schooling, not unlike yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, finished my PhD in, in theology at Boston College. Now I teach at uh, a seminary in Chicago, a graduate school of theology called the Catholic Theological Union. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's kind of like a reinvention in, in a sense. Uh, it's It's weird to think about uh, you know, uh, those days of photojournalism and sports photography, which I, I miss very much. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but this is also really, really a lot of fun as well. Uh, I, I was going to ask, because I, I don't get asked that as much now as I used to, but I was going to ask, do you, how much do you miss the old, that, that old life? And you were really young too, when you were doing it. So you yeah. were, um, how much, when, do, and is there like a specific time that you do miss it or anything about a particular that you miss about that? Yeah, I mean, my my specialty um, was really uh, college college basketball and uh, and and hockey, both NHL and at the collegiate level. Um, I loved shooting with arena strobes, and I still have all of my gear, so I've got nice. lots and lots of uh, equipment. I guess I could always go back to that. And actually, for a short period of time, I was teaching at Siena College, a uh, Franciscan University in, in New York, outside of Albany. Uh, and they have a D1 basketball uh, program. And so even though I was teaching in the classroom, I did take the opportunity uh, to shoot a couple games. And uh, it did. It came back. It was like riding a bike. Uh, right. And and I missed it in that. So anytime I, I'm physically at a game, uh, I really miss it. I, I never really liked football and, and baseball as much. Um, I mean, I could shoot those, and, and I did that on assignment a lot. But um, you know, it's, it, of course I'm a Bonnie, so I got to love basketball. It's in the blood. It, it, it's in the contract, actually. You have to, um, <laughs> you so, can't get your diploma until you, you sign in blood, your, your oath, you know, your loyalty to the, to the school. That, 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 that's a little known fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so tell, really quick, and then we'll get into Hamilton. We'll get into writing, but you mentioned the idea of reinvention and we are talking, um, right after the start of 2017 and always kind of a time, I think for, reflection, uh, 
you know, kind of you know, new, the, the, the cliche New Year's resolution, the cliche um, kind of reinventing yourself. So how did, you know, kind of tell your story. How did you reinvent yourself from a college student who was interested in photojournalism into an academic friar? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's see if I can be succinct about that. Which oh, is, don't worry uh, about that. Which is definitely not one of my strong suits. Uh, I think our, our former professors in J school would be uh, very unamused at my inability <laughs> to do subject verb object period. But um, yeah, I guess in a nutshell, it's, it's you know, I, I can't avoid using sort of religious language. So mm-hmm. uh, I know that's not necessarily par for the course here. But, um, you know, it's just something that I felt called to, uh, to use that kind of cliche, but, uh, it's just something that I was open to. I felt this desire to explore this particular way of life, uh, and to, uh, and to pursue that. And the truth is I entered the Franciscan friars. I became a, a friar with the actual idea of being, uh, continuing, uh, sports photography and photojournalism. Uh, I had this kind of uh, idea that maybe I'd be the first staff photographer for Sports Illustrated that was a Franciscan or a Catholic priest, uh, <laughs> which is not not actually outside the realm of possibility because unlike you know Jesuits who who primarily work in the field of education and, and missionary activity or uh, you know different communities that that sponsor other kinds of like hospitals or, or elementary schools. The Franciscans do a whole variety of things. And so uh, when St. Francis founded our community, he said basically you can do anything that isn't inherently sinful and that the only other condition was that it shouldn't get in the way of your your prayer life, basically your community life. Mm -hmm. So we have friars that have been... um, you know, uh, medical school professors and friars that work in the inner cities at soup kitchens and friars who work in parishes and friars who teach uh, journalism, as, as we know from, mm-hmm. from Bonaventure. Um, and so I had this idea that that's where I would go. But um, I quickly fell in love with, uh, or re-fell in love with, I should say, academic theology. That was actually my major at Bonaventure. I, I majored in theology and minored in journalism. Okay. Um, although most people were always shocked to find that out. <laughs> that most of my time... You know, at the OTH uh, with, with folks like yourself, or at uh, you know the BV, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and doing a lot of freelance work for wire services and other papers and uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess I was kind of a closet theologian <laughs> from the beginning, uh, and and so the reinvention is is really. You know, it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't intentional. It was just the way things kind of worked out and. Uh, you know, I, I uh, it's it's not because I hated uh, photography or journalism. Uh, quite the contrary, and, um, and and today, you know, I just I find myself uh, so grateful for those experiences and for the education that I received. That you know, folks like yourself uh, continue to uh, you know pass along to others. Um, because as you know, I don't mean to get so pessimistic in the, in the new year, uh, hopefully we could be more optimistic, but, mm-hmm. uh, the state of journalism and, you know, the state of this country is just really frightening in many ways right now. And we need, we need good journalists. We need people mm-hmm. who, who, you know, you know, have facts, right. <laughs> and not errors in fact, or made up facts. So, yeah. um, I mean, I love that idea of, 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 I love thinking about and reading about reinvention, but I also love the idea, you mentioned it, and I was thinking about it with my own kind of story from reporter to professor and that, and how gradual it is and kind of how it just kind of unfolds like that. Like you never, I feel like it's rare, maybe you can speak to this too, it's rare that you kind of have that epiphanal moment where everything changes and it's just kind of like, you kind of fall in, you kind of, it, 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 things kind of more unfold kind of organically, or they just kind of like 
like paths open up. I'm struggling to find the right visual metaphor for this, but it is. It, it's there's very rarely that in that moment of reinvention. That sort of reinvention. I think a lot of times we look for. I think that that aha moment, that moment where like the light bulb goes off and things change. And um, I don't know. It feels like real life really rarely happens that way. I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, both in, in a religious and in a secular context, people use the term vocation, you know, mm-hmm. in, t- in terms of like identifying right fits for ways of life and, and jobs and careers and the like. Um, and I think that's that describes well what we're talking about. Um, additionally, you know, we're both upstate New York guys, so we we know snow. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you can think about like snow falling for the first time or like it's another day of snowfall and you go out and you're walking along on the sidewalk. It hasn't been shoveled yet. Um, and in front of you, you don't see the path. But when you look back behind you, you know, the path is, is clearly laid out and it mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, you know where you're going it, only after the fact, as it were, when you turn around and look back. And I, I think that's that, that kind of describes my experience, that it isn't exactly as you said, it isn't uh, just an uh, immediate realization, but something that we come to discern, come to realize, come to appreciate only after the fact sometimes. So we'll get to writing in a minute, but this is, we have to talk Hamilton on this podcast. It's sort of, you know, again, contractually obligated. I know you're a (laughs) fan. How did you, how did you come to Hamilton? Well, shamefully, I came very late to the game. Um, it, It had popped onto my radar uh, pretty early on, and that's uh, just because of the circle of friends that I have. You know, social media. Uh, I, I saw people talking about uh, the, the, the the soundtrack, talking about the show in its in its early release when it moved to Broadway. Okay. Um, but uh, I it, I just didn't listen to it until you know just about a year ago. Okay. Um, and uh, and <laughs> it immediately got why everybody loved it so much. <laughs> Um, I, I grew up in a family that uh, had a great appreciation for, for musical theater, um, although none of us are really particularly great singers or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, we, yeah, it's so interesting. This is really like insider, inside baseball here. That <laughs> my, uh, my mother usually gives as kind of like a stocking stuffer every year. Uh, a DVD of some kind of classic movie that we watched as kids growing up. Like, okay. So it's kind of nostalgic. So one year it was Pee Wee's Christmas special, nice. which was something really fun <laughs> growing up. This year we all got uh, DVDs of the remastered uh, The Music Man, the original okay. Music Man production. And and so that kind of like illustrates this proclivity that we had already for for musical theater and appreciation for it. Um, but when I listen to it, I mean, just it's just fantastic. And I have to say... The title of your podcast uh, is. It comes from my favorite song. Nonstop is my favorite in, in the huh. whole uh, in the whole show. Wow! Well, I mean, I've got I've yeah. got favorite lines from from other other songs, but uh, it's you know it's just this whole idea. For, well, first of all, I think the, uh, the 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 shifting kind of like musicality throughout the song is neat. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's diverse, um, but I love the. Uh, you know this kind of recurring theme of of writing, uh, writing every moment, every second of the day, writing like you, you know like you're you have no time left. Uh, I, I just feel like that speaks to my experience, right? As as a writer too. So, um, but it's also so catchy. It's 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 an earworm, and it's mm-hmm. so I love and and hate it for that purpose. <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. You're the first person in talking to 
I think ever, but definitely on this podcast, who's ever called that the, their favorite song. And nobody said really? anything. But nobody's ever wow. said anything bad about it. But, you know, My Shot, uh, 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 yeah. uh, Skylar Sisters, um, mine right now, it, it's funny. Last year, we just, my family and I, we just got back from all of we go to North Carolina for a concert every year for New Year's. And last year, oh, cool. last year we were all Hamilton the ride down. And my daughter, she's she was five at the time. She's six now. She's in it with us. Like she's totally like we'll quote we'll sing along. We'll quote the musical. And she um, so last year we were all in. And this time it was just random on our on the sh- music shuffle we had. We only got maybe three or four Hamilton songs that came up. But um, uh, wait for it. It's been kind of my oh, my favorite song lately. That I feel like that's the one. That's like the master's level Hamilton song. Like you get into it with my shot, the first song, and kind of yeah. the bit and, and the Skylar sisters, and you get and, and the catchier songs. But then wait for it, kind of sneaks up ya on you a little bit, and like, yeah. um, so it, it, it's interesting that you that, that the the writing like you're running out of time is the one that strikes strikes with you because you are, and I say and I say this as a friend and someone as someone who reads your stuff as someone who makes me feel incredibly lazy with my writing <laughs> with your with the output that you have. I saw you posted this thing on Facebook the other day, but what was your out, writing output for 2016? Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to look at that to find out um, because I don't I don't actually pay much attention to it in the moment, um, and that's actually where this thing came from. Uh, I, I posted that on Facebook, and it and it led to a lot of a lot of remarks. <laughs> um, you know, it's oh here we go. Yeah, all right. So in 2016, uh, one book, one book chapter, 12 articles, three book reviews, 27 invited lectures, two academic conference papers. One DVD course uh, that was an 18 lecture, uh, 18 25 minute lecture course, uh, and then I completed my dissertation yeah, last year. Just too, stop! So. Just stop! <laughs> just <laughs> literally, it's, it's literally, non-stop. one of those, even all of one of those things would be enough for a full year. Like a dissertation is enough for a full year. A book is enough for a full year. A book chapter is a significant amount of work. So I guess the first question I have for you is. How are you? How do you maintain that level? Because this is not like an abnormal year for you either. This is not something no. out of the out of the realm. So, so you know, where does that drive come from? And like logistically, how do you keep it up? Yeah, those are those are excellent questions. Uh, and sadly, I one of the reasons I love nonstop so much is because I feel like. I think Hamilton would have a similar response to mine, which is totally inadequate, which is, I have no idea, no, no clue. Um, and I, I, I really don't, you know, that's, that's why I love the song so much. Previous to hearing uh, Nonstop, a song that I thought uh, really summarized my experience was uh, Billy Joel's Go to Extremes. Okay. Uh, and, and for a similar reason, where, where there is this kind of drive, this energy, um, where, where I can't really explain it. There's no methodology. There's no good practice. In fact, I, I consider myself uh, somebody who's in need of improvement still in terms of discipline and, and, wow. and uh, you know, staying on task. Um, and so how things get done is in itself kind of mysterious to me. Um, I'm also reminded of, of uh, you know, a, a personal figure, but also a figure of academic study that I, I've been very involved with over the years. And that's uh, this mid 20th century uh, American Trappist monk Thomas Merton, mm-hmm. who also is just extraordinarily prolific, like makes Alexander Hamilton, makes me, makes anybody look like, you know, the, the most occasional writer there is. <laughs> um, 
you know, the author is something like 60 books and, and just in tens of thousands of pages of correspondence. I mean, just absolutely absurd. And he died at 53 to mm-hmm. me, just to rub it in. <laughs> um, you know, and and he, he would be asked this question too. And people are like, how do you do this? And uh, he, his, his response was generally, and I'm just kind of like paraphrasing here. Uh, his, his response is like, I, I do it because I have to. I do it because it's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's generally my response, but, uh, the kind of incredulity of Aaron Burr in that song, you know, how, <laughs> how do you write like it's going out of style? You know, how do you write like you're running out of time? Like, I, I feel like I, I feel those kind of questions and, and you just asked <laughs> one too. So you, so thank you, Mr. Burr. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. I'm Burr in this story. Great. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and, and, and I should be clear. I don't at all, uh, you know, want to align myself with, with, uh, with Alexander Hamilton. That's not it at all. It's just, I appreciate <laughs> that, that exchange, the incredulity. Um, so, so, I mean, how many, so logistically, like how do you kind of, I mean, it's spinning plates is the image that comes into my head, but, how do you keep, you know, what kind of writing, I guess, schedule do you keep? Probably a bad word, but like, what's your writing yeah. practice? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I think the first thing is I don't have a six-year-old daughter. That's that um, does, that probably and, does help. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have to be honest about that. You know, I my. Um, as, as a religious, I, I do have obligations to the community. For example, I'm cooking tonight. So once I get off the phone with the, the interview with you, I got to go grocery shopping. And so okay. there are like normal domestic things that, <laughs> that, uh, even, even religious who aren't married, uh, have to do. Uh, and we have a prayer schedule and a community schedule and I, you know, I'm a priest, so I celebrate mass and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But, um, I think one of the, you know, I'm not really good about, um, I used to be better, I should say, when I when I was when I was even younger than I am now. I used to write in the evenings. I would be in grad school, so I would do grad work. I'd consider that kind of my my day job. And then, you know, from like seven to nine, like after dinner, I would work on other projects, other articles, or work on books or, or, or other research. Um, as I've gotten older, I realize I can't think after seven o'clock at night. <laughs> so that's completely shocking. But but one thing, you know, and this is just dispositionally that I've I've learned about myself uh, over the years, which is um, I'm not really affected in the same way that a number of other people, a lot of my friends are by travel. Okay. So like I can sleep anywhere, you know, if it's a hotel or if I'm uh, giving a retreat or, or giving a series of lectures at a parish or something, I'm in a guest room. Um, I don't need my own pillow or, or my own bed. Um, so that at this point in my life makes it very easy. I don't get thrown off. Uh, I can work at airports and on airplanes and on trains. Um, so if I don't have to drive, um, I, I find myself uh, able to do a lot of work, uh, kind of wherever I find myself. So I think that accounts for how how the consistency follows through. But in terms of, um, you know, in terms of like, well, I, I, I sit down and I guarantee and I, I insist on writing for this many hours a day or something like that just doesn't happen. Right. Um, and and I wish it did. I mean, that's where I say, uh, and it may sound absurd to some people, but I'm like, that's where I wish I was more disciplined. I admire people. Who who keep those kinds of habits um, and 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 really develop them? I mean, that's to me that's that's awesome. Yeah, and it, I, I mean, 
I, I kind of feel similarly. I think it's my, my, you know, the journalist training that you can kind of you kind of write anywhere because you have to write anywhere. You know, you yeah, have. To, I, I've, right. ri- I've written a story in a burned dairy in Auburn one day <laughs> because I, they had no internet. Like that was the one place I I could find that I could get an internet connection and sit down and write a game story after a game. So, um, yeah. but I but I do find like the in terms of the the, the being able to write for hours at a time. Like that's one of those things that I've always felt. And, you know, again, with parents, being a parent, you don't necessarily always have that luxury. But I also found that, like, I don't know, I, I, I personally, I tend to work better, like, in sprints, like a 20 or 30 yeah. minute sprint, and then go off and do something else. Now, you do kind of more rigorous and long form stuff than I tend to write, I think. But it also does that, I think that, you know, rather than I need four hours to write today, like, maybe I can find five half hour bursts where I can sit down and and get something done or get something edited and that can be helpful just as helpful I think as well I need to be able to sit down for five hours and and write because by the third hour you're toast I think yeah that's true you know I'm thinking of a couple different things I never thought of before uh in this conversation so I really I'm so appreciative uh it takes you know somebody who's a journalist to really you know uh, understand that and I think in the academy, and you're you're really a hybrid. You know, you come from the experience of of, of being a reporter, being a journalist, and and now bring that into the classroom and have that academic, uh, you know, in, in the sense of the kind of <laughs> the the long long form uh, play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it, I've never really quite thought about it this way. That I think the ability to work in those little spurts, the the necessity of having to file from wherever at whatever time when it's ne- you know when you need to. Um, that has been a life skill that, that translates, I think, very well to, uh, to the academic world. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has their own kind of, uh, their comfort zone for writing and researching. And I have friends that, that can only work in coffee shops, you know, or can only work in their home office or can only work at, at, at the library or something. Um, and I think, you know, talking with you, I'm just realizing that that may be, you know, a transferable kind of journalism skill that I, I've retained. The other thing is I work best under deadline. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's for better or worse. Uh, and, and, it, and I'm sure you're exactly the same, like we've been conditioned to do that. And so, um, one of the things that I've learned over the years is, is what do I need to do to get something done? So if I agreed to give a lecture somewhere, like I have just now at this point, an intuitive sense of how many hours or how much time, like how many, days in advance or weeks in advance do I need for that particular project? Um, and then I can kind of plan backwards. Mm-hmm. I'm not so good at like doing things m- four months in advance, you know? Uh, and, and, and I think that's because, you know, we're the adrenaline junkies of the of right. journal- of well, journalism. I, I feel like there's an adrenaline aspect to it too and a conditioning aspect too. But one thing that I've always felt with my writing that the, the deadline thing has helped is that it kind of gets me out of the way of this has to be perfect. This has to be great. This has to be the yes. best thing, whether it's a lecture, you know, a, a thing for a class, a writing thing for my blog or an article or anything. You know, I wrote a lot of crappy game stories in my career. And I don't say that I was a bad journalist. I'm like, no, the game no. ends at 10.10, the deadline's at 10.30. You write and, you know, if it's not good, well, you come back tomorrow and you've got another one. But the story's got to be done. And it kind of, you know, it's that kind of cliche thing. Sometimes you'll hear done is better than perfect. But yeah. I think that, that uh, that's helped me out. That does help me out a lot, too. What's the biggest challenge for you uh, going from 
kind of academic journal writing, and I don't know how it is in your discipline, so it might not be, but from academic journal writing to either your book chapters or your blog or any other writing, how much of a variance is there between a theology, the, the academic journals and theology and your other types? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Because um, I think, you know, I think that's something that... Uh, yeah, apart from like the hard sciences, the laboratory sciences, I think that's something all, all disciplines share in common, particularly the humanities or, or the professional fields like journalism, where, where you're pretty close to the humanities in terms of the yeah. written form. Um, I don't know. I, I have a lot of opinions about this, actually, and, and they may be controversial or, or maybe they're well received uh, or will be here that um, I don't think that there should be that much difference. Mm -hmm. I think that um, and, and I and I'm the first to admit that some of my you know, the peer reviewed articles and some of the academic uh, monographs uh, or book chapters of that sort can be jargony. Uh, and some of that's out of necessity. Right. That you're, you're entering a conversation that that requires that kind you know, using the same terms. Um, but I also believe, I mean, so much of the scholarly writing or what is described as scholarly writing is such garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, I don't mean to say that the scholarship is bad or that the scholars are bad. That's not, I don't want to disparage anybody, but it's, I think, again, this is where, um, this is like a love fest for, for St. Bonaventure journalism <laughs> and mass communication. Um, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, the, the credo of keeping it clear, you know, right. clear and concise, um, and that, you know, adjectives and adverbs are not your friends, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and to clear this stuff away where, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of times either because, you know, these are bad habits that scholars pick up in grad school. Mm -hmm. Part of it, part of it is an imposter syndrome fear that leads people to be, uh, to, to want to sound a certain way. They think this is what it means to be a scholar is to sound like this. And it's, it's wordy and verbose and, and well, and there I am being redundant. So that already I'm, do, <laughs> I'm living out both of those things. Um, but it's jargony and it's, and it's technical. Um, mm -hmm. and they think, okay, well, that's what I read these things and this bad writing that sounds this way. And so that's what I need to do. And it's, it's a, it's a vicious circle. Um, mm -hmm. The other th and so that's like the best case scenario. I think the worst case scenario is that sometimes it's shoddy thinking or shoddy scholarship, and that the technical language or the jargon becomes a mask for obfuscating, you know, what's not there. And that may not even be the realization of, of the author herself or himself. But mm -hmm. um, that's where I think concise, uh, concise, clear writing. I keep thinking of, of our uh, professor of ages past, Danny Wilkins, you know, mm -hmm. subject, verb, object, you know, keeping it, keeping it concise uh, makes all the difference. If you have something original to say, something important to say, you can say it uh, without a million modifiers. Right. And it will be as clear, if not clearer. So to, to your question, that was super long-winded. I'm completely undoing my claim that we need to be more concise. <laughs> that's in writing. This is speaking. Completely different fields. That's true. Here. Totally different. You can be as you know. That's also true too in with journalists, isn't it? You yep. know, when you're in the in, in, you're in the media room, it's very different than uh, than the 700 word column. <laughs> but the um, yeah, I, I just think that uh, when it comes to the popular writing, um, you're you're basically you got to think to yourself. You know what does what does somebody who doesn't know the background doesn't know the conversation already underway? How do you begin to reach that person? What do they need to know? Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of the style of writing, I, I don't think it needs to be all that different. 
I think with the academic writing, you have to demonstrate your argument with a lot more evidence. So that's where we get into our heavy footnotes and citations and bibliographies and the like. But, right. um, you know, I think you can say a lot of the same things that you say among colleagues to a general audience with, but, but it requires the work of, of, you know, unlearning. <laughs> I'm thinking of, there's a, uh, a post-colonial theorist that I, I really liked who's, who's important in some of my work. And she has this expression that I'm, I'm totally misusing, but it seems applicable here. And she talks about unlearning one's privilege and, mm-hmm. and we can, we can unlearn our sort of ivory towerisms. Uh, and, and, but that's hard work. People don't want to do it. Right. And it's or hard can, or some can't. Well, and, and it's hard, especially because a lot of times, you know, don't want to turn this into why we can't get published fest, but it, it becomes hard when, you know, for younger scholars like us, when we're writing for editors who are steeped in that style. And so to, in, right. in other words, to get published, which in our world, you have to, you kind of, it's kind of like, well, you have to almost play the game by the rules that are set. And, you know, I, th- I think one of the bigger, and I think that's a big problem. And I think one of the biggest frustrations we have, at least in journalism, this is probably less so in theology, but in journalism, it's that um, the time it takes for a peer-reviewed study to be done and to be accepted and finally published, you know, yeah. by, by, the time, by the time that happens in our world, um, you know, three different technologies and, and two different, you know, huge news events have come across. And all of a sudden that looks very dated or it looks what was a pretty, what might've been a pretty good um, finding is now kind of common knowledge or understood because like the industry, everyone kind of caught on to what you discovered in the time it was waiting for your manuscript to come out. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's something where, where your field is, uh, that's way more precarious than us. I mean, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, you get scooped and you get outdated and, and new manuscripts come out they're published in whatever form that that kind of throw your work into you know antiquity but uh not in the rate that, that you guys do i'm thinking of uh a colleague of ours a classmate of mine actually from bonaventure lisa uh lisa barnard who's married yes whose married name i can't remember she teaches at ithaca Ithaca, yep. ithaca college yeah and i know her her specialty is um is social media mm-hmm. and and, uh, and that technology and and i have I, I don't know. I don't know your your field well enough, but I'm assuming that you know, like maybe there's a move to more open source, you know, or the, or digital journalism there, mean, or there, d- digital journals. There is in a way, um, and it's slow moving because it's a you know it's a, an ocean liner. Academia, all academia <laughs> is an ocean liner. But it's funny you mentioned Lisa because I never met her. I knew she was a Bonaventure person, but I never met her until we were applying for doctoral programs, and we had three visits in a row together. We visited, oh, North, here. we visited North Carolina together where she ended up going. We had our visit at Syracuse where I ended up going. And then we were actually scheduled to go to Penn State together. And I had to change it because of something. But we've stayed friends since then. And, yeah, she's doing fantastic work at Ithaca. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, I remember seeing on your, your blog, is it's, it's still at datinggod.org, right? It is. You know, okay. when, when, you, when you write a book, your first book and for a popular audience, and your publisher makes you start blogging, you can never escape that. <laughs> I, I thought about changing it. I've, I've just recently, after six years uh, or seven years, really changed the, the layout. So okay. talk about slow-moving shifts. That's, that's also my work, my experience. But well, yes, I, wa- yes well, I, wa- God that yep. I wanted to mention it because you, I know you were writing your dissertation and have your billion other projects, so you weren't writing as much, but you wrote after the election in November about starting to write more. And I've noticed you've been writing more on that 
since the election, is that just kind of schedule wise, like the dissertation's done, so it opened up, or is there kind of something more to it? Yeah. I, I mean, I was really shaken up by the election, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I'm not alone. And I occupy a place I realize in in my social context, uh, social location as as a, as a white male U.S. citizen uh, in the United States that I don't have the kind of fears or concerns that many. Uh, women and men legitimately have, mm-hmm. um, and so aware of of that kind of topsy turviness and and uh, and the question, you know, well, how does one respond to this? And this is, you know, not a critique necessarily of those who voted for one candidate or another, but just in an analysis of or description of the reality that we face in our society right now. And so I just felt, you know, I just felt an, an impulse, uh, not an impulse, but a compulsion to. Um, to engage again in a more general, more timely, more public way. I mean, for the last four years, I've been a columnist at uh, America Magazine, okay. which is a, a Catholic uh, national weekly magazine, and uh, that's been wonderful. And I've and I've written a number of you know op-ed pieces as a columnist, staff columnist there. But uh, the production schedule for a weekly national magazine is is three weeks out, so you okay. send your manuscript in to the editor, you know, three weeks in advance. So it was never it was never as timely as I feel like the urgency requires today. And so that, that's, that's the primary impulse. Um, the other thing is I, I, I get occasionally, whether it's traveling around, you know, speaking in different uh, uh, events or, you know, occasionally the emails or, or social media by social media, you know, people refer back to this, uh, to this blog and I say, Hey, are you ever going to come back? Are you ever going to write again? And so, um, so it just seemed like the right the right moment, and then yeah, it, it coincides with finishing the dissertation. Um, unfortunately, I have uh, several other book uh, <laughs> books and book manuscripts and, and contracts that that mean that I always kind of have another dissertation working. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so the, the, it was kind of like a perfect storm that just made me feel like okay, now's the time to return to that. And what's the best thing you've read lately? Oh, that's a great question. Um, in general, you mean like in terms of uh, like my, my I mean a lot of what I'm reading right now is is uh, very very academic and narrowly focused that may not appeal to anybody you know that's listening to this. But um, I would say one of the most one of the best things that I've read uh, in terms of kind of like a general audience thing, and this is going to sound cliched, but uh, this Ta-Nehisi Coates book you know, between the world. Okay, I, I think mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's. Uh, that's probably my favorite thing I, uh, that I've, I've read in terms of uh, a broader audience. But um, I could list, I can listen, <laughs> you know, obscure theological texts. If, you if, you, if you'd <laughs> like, maybe we can, maybe, maybe people can email you or Facebook message you and get, exactly. and get those. I did, I haven't read that book yet. I did read his large uh, takeout in the Atlantic a few weeks ago before Christmas. Oh, yeah. About, about, yeah, about President Obama. About the, yeah. And that was, um, it was wonderful. I, just, I love reading him on race and I love reading, I love the way in that, in that, Atlantic piece, how he let when when you let someone like Obama talk, and you can kind of see Obama's thought process and see his how he thinks through things and how he speaks. Um, and then I, I did like how Coates would kind of in the piece kind of critique and come back. It was not an overall celebratory piece of Obama. No. It was you know critical where he felt like he needed to be critical. And it was very interesting reading that piece. And maybe you caught this as a former journalist. You could kind of see how the piece was taking shape 
going the way that we thought the election was going to go, and then it had to take that hard detour when Trump yeah. won. Um, the other book I've read recently, which um, I, for you probably wouldn't be interested in, but is a biography of Brett Favre, the Packers quarterback, by Jeff oh. Perlman, who I interviewed on the, the most recent episode of this podcast. And it, it was a really fun, fun, fast read. And um, so those are the, that's what I can recommend to everybody. So, so it's a Ta-Nehisi Coates-heavy podcast uh, recommendations. So Yeah. I guess I, if I could add one more, because the Brett Favre biography... Yeah, reminding me of something else that I read that would be perhaps of interest to your audience is okay. uh, is Frank Shorter's new autobiography, oh, nice. his memoir. Um, I thought that was it was excellent, um, and I mean, of course, I, long distance running and road running racing is my it's my sport, and uh, so I'm a big fan of, of Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter and that whole crowd that really you know got road running popular for for a general audience. Um, but he he discloses a lot. It's a very vulnerable. Uh, very uh, powerful memoir about his own experiences of abuse as a child and, oh, wow. and family dynamics and, and the like. And, and then of course you get the, you know, the firsthand experience of what it was like to win uh, the marathon at the Olympics and, and uh, you know, the whole, his whole journey, which is just fascinating. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. I, I, I do. There, there is something wonderful when a, when a writer gets vulnerable. I mean, it doesn't have to be to the extent that sounds like in the Frank Shorter memoir, but just when you kind of, and, and that's a, and that can feel special too when you write yourself, right? When you kind of like open yourself up just a little bit. It doesn't have to be a huge revelation, but just enough. It kind of it, it's one of those things where like you know somebody can respond, and if and that makes all this stuff feel worth it, you know? Oh, totally. Well, and it's interesting too that you know both in journalism and in in the academy, we're told to avoid that totally right, right? You, yeah. you need to be objective it needs to be uh from the third person perspective but um and so that can be hard for a lot of people to overcome to, to move to the i statement um but yeah really that's that's how you connect with people it is powerful yeah. so this has been great dan haran thank you for joining me today hey brian it's been a pleasure